If you're turning with me in your Bibles today, we're going to start in Romans. Romans 12, verse 18. But today, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the most important piece of real estate in the world. The most important piece. Or it's probably the White House. No. The most important piece of real estate in the whole world. Real estate, in case you don't know what that means, it means property or available space or capacity. Have any of y'all ever played Monopoly? I've started thousands of games of Monopoly. Don't recall a lot that I finished. <laughs> it's it's a really long game, okay? And uh, but it probably almost everybody in the room you've probably got a really good Monopoly story because people get real irritated in that game. I know one time we were playing. I don't know why Titus is burying his head over there. <laughs> he already knew where this was going. <laughs> Yeah, we got this story where Titus lost it. I mean, he lost it. It's been a while ago. It's been weeks and weeks. No. <laughs> it was several years ago. I don't know that we've played Monopoly since then, have we? Nope, I just thought about that. You know, now they make the, I guess we had the old school Monopoly game where you just count out the money and stuff, but now they make the one with the little credit cards it's electronic and you just swipe the card you don't have to have a banker you don't have to keep up with the money you don't have to count out the money you just swipe and swipe and swipe until you go bankrupt and move back in with your parents <laughs> okay <laughs> you know how you can tell Monopoly is such an old game because when it was made rich people could go to jail too All right, let me get back to my notes here. What are we even talking about? Real estate. Real estate, yeah. So when you're playing Monopoly, like you want parks, Park Place, it's worth more than some of the cheaper properties. And, and different people have different strategies, but there were certain properties, there are certain pieces of real estate that are worth more. They're just more valuable, and they can make you more money. Right, so, so there are different pieces of real estate that, that you want more, that may be more valuable. We're playing in a, several guys in the church are playing in a fantasy football league, and there's been some trading around and some laughing, and it's been fun and stuff, but there are just certain players that are worth more. Right, you might give away a bunch of little scrub players that aren't going to do anything for the greatest football player of all time, like Julio Jones. And somebody like Hunter might just give him up. I know that Hunter's not here, so I'll, I'll use him. Why? Because they're more valuable. So, the most important piece of real estate in the world, it's an average of six inches. It's the six inches, or an average of six inches, between your ears. Right there, your brain, your mind, that is the most important piece of real estate you'll ever deal with. 
And I want to talk to you about it for a few minutes this morning. That little space, that little six inches, for some of y'all, a little more than six inches maybe, but average. I don't know that there's anything more important than that in your life, in the world, what goes on in here. It's the most important thing there is. Most of the problems, when I look back on my life, when I think about most of the battles that I've won or lost and a lot of the problems that I've faced, it mostly all took place in here. Battles that I lost, times that I failed or forgot who I was, or it, it all pretty much played out up here. Some of it then, after things happened in my mind, of course, they played out out here, but it all started right there. Most of the time, I either won or lost before it ever actually happened. Before I ever walked it out in the natural out here, it, it already happened inside. Your problems in your mind. Last week, we talked a lot about toxicity and, and being toxic and or maybe that was a week before. The last couple weeks, we kind of hit on that kind of stuff. Um, and I want to tell you today that your toxicity is more dangerous to you than anyone else. Like, it's real easy for us to say, like, oh, he's a toxic person. I don't want him around because he's going to take me down a bad road. Oh, she's toxic. Oh, I can see it from a mile away. But our own toxicity, we're comfortable with. We make excuses for, we don't see it as well. Like it's harder to see it in myself than it is to point it out in somebody else. It's easy for me to see it in someone else, but then when I have to look at my own self or when I have to look in the mirror, that's when it becomes a little more difficult. Why? Because I can talk myself into anything. I trust me more than anyone. And you trust you more than anyone, whether you know it or not. Your self-talk, the things that you sit there saying to yourself all day long, you have more influence on yourself than anyone in the world. Psychologists tell us that. That your self-talk every day, you influence yourself more than anyone else out here. You believe you. You talk yourself into things that you know are bad for you. You ever heard somebody say, oh, I just talking about something that's bad for them or toxic? You ever heard somebody say, oh, I just need to get it out of my system. This will be the last time I had to sow my wild oats. Or, you know, I'm going to quit drinking alcohol, so I'm going to go out one more time to the bar tonight and get drunk and get me an Uber. I just got to get it out of my system. I've heard people say that about all different kinds of things. I'm thinking of examples that I'm not going to say. But can I just say, like, that's one of the biggest lies there is. You don't get anything out of your system by putting it in your system. That's not how that works. That, like, <laughs> think about it logically. No, that's not how it works. I'm going to get it out of my system. No. 
Psychologists say that when you are on a diet or when you're trying to quit something like a bad habit or something that you're trying to cut out of your life or if you're on a diet, obviously you're trying to lose weight so you've cut out certain foods or you've... And uh, psychologists say that when you're on a diet or you're trying to quit something that the most dangerous time is day seven day 14 day 21 in seven day increments and they they did some studies on this they say it's a natural stopping point for some reason like and and part of it is to do with like our weeks are set up in seven days so we feel like if we go for seven days we feel this accomplishment like okay i made it a week it was a start and an end to a week but for whatever reason, it's in seven-day increments that you will be the weakest, like that you could go back to whatever that bad thing is, whatever that toxic thing is, whatever it is that, that you're trying to cut out. They say that it's a natural stopping point. So, like, say you've not had sugar. Say on your diet, you've decided that sugar's bad for you. You've got to cut it out. You've got to lose some weight. So you decide no more sugar. It's toxic for me. So on day seven, here's what they say happens. Tell me if you think this is right. You think, man, I want some cake. Rolls around about day seven. You're pretty strong. Hey, man, I'd like some cake. And very quickly... It goes from a want, like, hey, I want some cake. This is how you talk yourself into stuff. It goes quickly from a want to a need. I'm feeling kind of off. I feel sluggish, like I don't have any energy. I need some carbs and some sugar. Yeah, I, man, I wonder if my sugar levels are off. I, oh, I feel kind of dizzy. Right? It goes from a want I want this thing that I have determined is toxic. It goes quickly from a want to a need, and all, you're talking yourself into it. Oh, now I need cake. Boy, if I'm going to go pick up the kids from school and take care of everything I was supposed to get done today, I'm going to have to have some sugar and some carbs in my system. I don't, my body's breaking down on me. I, now I've got to have a piece of cake. Luckily, I'm pretty close to Holland, and they got some giant pieces of cake that are always good. I, I gotta, now I have to have it. Wait, but that's not it. See, that's how it starts as a want, and you quickly talk yourself into a need. So from want to need, and then the psychologists say we start to talk ourselves into that we deserve it. Oh, you've gone a whole entire week. You're doing great. Reward yourself. You can't keep this up for that long and be hard. So you've done so good. You should be proud. This is how you reward yourself. This is just a cheat day. You can eat a whole cake because you deserve it. And that's how they say we do with addictions. That's how we, when, when we decide we need to cut out an addiction, I don't care if it's, we decide alcohol's got control of us or a drug or pornography or any, they, they say that's how it starts with a want. Then we're convinced that it's a need. 
And then we justify or say how I deserve it. It's a dangerous path. It's a dangerous road. And guess what? It all happens in between these ears. Before you ever pick up that fork and eat that cake, before you ever take that toxic thing that you know you need to cut out, the battle happens in here. And we see Paul talks about it a lot. I'm not going to turn there, but it, it's such a familiar scripture in, in Romans 12 where Paul tells us, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you want to see a real transformation out here, a transformation in your life, you're going to have to renew or reset your mind. You have to change the way you think about some things, and you're going to have to change that self-talk. That's letting you go after a want. You know, I deserve it. I've been good. And it's funny to sit here and talk about sugar, but... There are a lot of other really destructive things that we allow. What about like a self-destructive mindset? What about some toxic people that we keep allowing back into a place of influence? What about your old BS? Your belief systems. What y'all think? These things can be toxic. So what do we do? We have to set up boundaries. You have to set up some boundaries. You have to say, no, no, we're not going there. And and I'm going to put a boundary in place. Right? No, this isn't healthy. For you to be coming in and it causing me all this emotional anxiety and all that. No, no, we're going to put up a boundary because this isn't healthy anymore. And it can be on people and it can be on things and substances and all kind of stuff. But we see all throughout Scripture, boundaries are a healthy thing. If I want to be all that I'm called to be, I better have some boundaries. I've got to put some boundaries in place. In fact, boundaries create identity. And we'll probably get into it a little more because I've been studying some things, not today in the interest of time, because I want to go somewhere else with it. But most of the time, if you don't know who you are, and you're trying to find yourself and you're searching for that, it can be traced back to a lack of boundaries where you lost you. There are people that are toxic. And if you don't set boundaries, they'll poison your mind. They can poison your family or your sobriety, your marriage. They can kill your hope. Hope, we talked about hope and faith last week. And hope lives in your mind. So right in here is where you can lose hope. Don't lose your hope because you've allowed toxicity in. Wrong relationships will steal your peace. So Romans 12, it's it's a familiar scripture. Romans 12, 18. 
It says, if it be possible, right, if you're able, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That means women too. I hate to tell you all that. With all of mankind. Live peaceably. But I haven't really thought about that until I read it this week. He said, live at peace with everyone. Right? Live at peace with everybody if it's possible. You know what that tells me? It's not possible with everybody. There are some people it's not possible. So we've got to set up boundaries. Right? You can't, if somebody's coming in and taking your peace... And somebody's coming in and knocking you off course and making you do things, say things, feel things that get you in a place where you don't need to be. Then that's not healthy or good. Boundaries begin with me. Not me as your pastor. My boundaries begin with me. Your boundaries begin with you. You can't look to someone else now that, you know, you're your own person. You're an adult. You're not a little kid anymore expecting mom and dad to set boundaries for you. Now that you're an adult, you're supposed to set your own boundaries. Your boundaries begin with you. It's real easy to blame somebody else for your lack of discipline or your lack of self-control, but it's, it's on you. You know, self-discipline allows every day to count. It makes every single day count. Those moments we talked about last week, the, how that, the everyday regular moments are setting you up for the defining moments and what you'll have. But self-discipline is what makes you do the things you need to do to, to walk in obedience on the days when maybe you don't feel like it or your feelings are telling you to eat cake. And you know you're not supposed to eat cake. And so, self-discipline. But I was thinking about different times and areas in my life where self-discipline has worked. And then times when it's failed. And then some areas of my life, there have been times when self-discipline worked, like my physical health, and sometimes when it has failed. And I was thinking, well, what's the... I'm the same person... And the same self-discipline. So how come sometimes I've failed and sometimes it's works? Is your self-discipline like you're going through a tunnel or you're on a bridge? Because if it's like you're traveling through a tunnel, like you can't see where you're going and you can't see what's around you or your purpose or your end game, then it's real easy to quit. But if it's like you're going over a bridge and you can see where you're headed, you know why you're headed there, you know why I'm doing this, why I'm taking these steps in this direction, then it's real easy to stay on track. Like, I got in the best shape of my life when I was training for Brawl for a Cause. You know why? Because I could see that in front of me. I could see the guy I was going to fight. I could see the date that it was coming. I knew it was coming, and it wasn't hard to work out. 
Self-discipline became real easy. Why? Because I had a clear vision and purpose. Now, right now, I'm not in the best shape of my life. Why? Because maybe my self-discipline has been kind of in the tunnel. Cake looks a little better than whatever's on the other side of the tunnel because there's not really a goal or a purpose there. So what am I saying? You get a vision and a purpose and and you make it clear. And then it makes the journey, the self-discipline, becomes much easier. Who likes bumper cars? Wow. Surprised. (laughs) I was thinking about bumper cars. A lot of people raised their hand. I'm actually really surprised about that. Because as I sat in my office and thought about bumper cars, I thought about how when I was a kid, I loved bumper cars. I thought they were awesome. I loved to go ride bumper cars. But now that I've gotten older, like, I don't even refer to them as bumper cars anymore. I refer to them as little whiplash machines. (laughs) Maybe, I mean, (laughs) where there's, and, and a few observations from my old wiseness now is, There's no purpose, there's no finish line, there's no winner, there's no loser, there's no organization, it's all chaos, there's no, there like, and you get out and it's like, yay, that was fun, I'm the winner, how do you know you're the winner? There was no finish line, there was no goal, there was no purpose, there was no vision, you're the winner, why? Because I hurt more. But so you just paid money to sit in a too small of a car, hurt your knees, and ride around banging into stuff for no reason or purpose. And there wasn't ever even a chance of you winning. Doesn't that sound fun? I should have made y'all raise your hands after I explained that. I had a lot more people probably wouldn't have raised their hands. The sad thing is... A lot of people go through life like that. With no real, there's no vision, there's no purpose, there's no finish line, there's no, you're not going to win. You're just going around in circles, bumping into stuff and slamming into people and having problems at work and, and getting hurt over and over and over for nothing. There's no point. You lay down with this empty feeling in your bed like, Did I make a difference today? Did I win the day? No. Did I was there a purpose? Oh, did I hurt people? Yeah. Did I get hurt? Yeah. This must be life. No. We're not supposed to live a bumper car. What about a race? I'd love to go race you in some go-karts. Are we going to bump into each other? Yes, probably. That's fine. Why? Because there's a finish line. There's a purpose. There's a goal. If you hit me and take me out, at least I understand why. You were trying to win. And I can respect that. Man, I'm going to try to take you out too. But there's a reason. What's that sound like? all works together for good if you're going towards a goal or a purpose obedience 
race is a lot different than bumper cars. You're still going to get hit when you're chasing your purpose. People are going to hit you. You're going to hit people. There's going to be stuff to walk through. But the difference is I have a vision and a purpose. So let's look at Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29, 18. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Or if they can't see, they don't have a vision. They can't see what God's trying to do in their life. Make it personal. If people can't see what God's doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what He reveals, they are most blessed. Look how the King James Version says it. This this is the one I memorized. Y'all probably, y'all probably know this one too. Proverbs 29, 18. King James says, Where there is no vision, no vision or purpose, where you can't see God, like where there's no finish line, where there's no vision, the people perish or die. Have you ever laid down at light at night? With an empty or a dead feeling. Like, wow, did it? Does it matter? Like, what I'm doing? Am I making a difference? Is. Well, I feel pretty beat up. Not much purpose or meaning. I didn't get anywhere. It feels like I'm just spinning tires. I'm not getting anywhere. Bumper car syndrome. You're living your life in a bumper car. Not getting anywhere. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. He that keepeth the law. Now, <clears throat> that word was translated law. It's a Hebrew word, and it means regulation, teaching, instruction. It's like training. So, he that keepeth the law, or he that listens to the teaching or the instruction, he that participates in the training. Oh, happy is he. Is what Solomon was telling us there. Like, he that is willing to participate in the training, he that listens to the teaching and the instruction. James said it like, don't just come into church and, and listen. You got to be a doer, like put it into practice. Work it into your life. Don't just let it be some good teaching about Jesus and then walk away and forget about it. Because then you're just riding bumper cars. There's no purpose or meaning. What separates successful people and unsuccessful people? Scientists and psychologists agree that it's the separation is made in the way we think. Back to that piece of real estate we were talking about. It's all right here. What separates whether you're going to be a success, successful or unsuccessful? Did you know whether you're going to be generous or stingy is determined right here? It's all determined in your mind.
Here's what's found in this piece of real estate. Attitude. It's found right here. My attitude. I choose my attitude. Perspective. What will I find? What will I highlight in any given situation? I can choose to highlight whatever I want to, good or bad, negative or positive. My perspective is what I see is determined here. You know what else is here? Confidence. Good luck doing what God's called you to do without some confidence. Being who you're called to be. And we hit on it a minute ago, but hope is here. Hope is found in here, in between your ears. Hope can't exist in the past. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And do you know, all throughout the Bible, hope is always tied to purpose. Every time. It's tied to your purpose, hope and purpose. So, we pray, God, God, give me hope. God, I feel hopeless. And God says, it's found in your purpose. That's where your hope is found. You're not willing to chase your purpose. You're not willing to walk in the call that I've placed on your life. Then you're hopeless because hope is tied to purpose. So you're just playing bumper cars. Until you get ready to chase the finish line. Until you get ready to chase the prize, Paul called it. I press toward the mark, the prize of the high calling of the purpose that God had for my life. Now I got a finish line. See, I got sick of getting whiplash for nothing and going through a lot of hard things for nothing is kind of what Paul was saying. I'm paraphrasing. But now I got a purpose. And so everything that I go through and everything that I've been through can be used for His glory and my good. Hope. God says hope's found in your purpose. Now, I'm going to read you a deep, deep scripture. And this is hard to understand. But don't worry, I'm going to explain it to you. It's really hard. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 2. Wise thinking leads to right living. Stupid thinking leads to wrong living. Just kidding, it's not that deep. Wise thinking leads to right living. Stupid thinking leads to wrong living. It's kind of simple. Think right, do right. <laughs> Right? What you go over and over and over in your head. Every sin starts in here. What you think about, what you choose to meditate on, what you choose to talk to yourself about and go over and over and over. Right thinking leads to right living. Think right, do right. Attitude is the paintbrush. And you hold it. You hold that paintbrush every single day. And it paints the pictures in your mind. You know, every song that you hear and every picture that you see and pretty much everything you see in your world, and it's all a product of the human imagination. The car that you will leave and go get in and drive away, it's all 
It's products of the human imagination. So be careful what you imagine. Because it's not all good things in the world. A lot of bad, sick things, a lot of things that hurt other humans. A lot of, there's a lot of things in the world that are also products of human imagination. Be careful what you sit around daydreaming about and thinking about, meditating on, and put, because eventually you're going to put it into practice. It matters. It matters for your purpose. Okay, look at Philippians 4. Philippians 4 4. I'm just going to stay on the message Bible for this one. Philippians 4 4. Paul, I remind you before I read this that that this is Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And Paul was in a pretty rough prison at this point when he wrote this for chasing his purpose, for doing what God had called him to do, for preaching the gospel. He was in prison. He'd been beaten multiple times, all kind of hardships. Like he wasn't preaching this from a beach house where he wrote this letter circumstances weren't great but we know that Paul had found the secret to living a fulfilled life to being that fresh breath of air that that fresh drink of water like we talked about a couple weeks ago look what Paul says celebrate God all day every day I mean revel in him make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side just that right there. Make it as clear as you can to everybody you meet. Hey, I'm on your side. That don't mean you have to agree with every everybody. But you're on their side. Hey, I care about you. And I know somebody that died for you. He cares about you. He said, make it as clear as you can to everybody you meet that you're on their side. Working with them and not against them. I hate that so many Christians are so divisive. Like Jesus' prayer, not the Lord's prayer, the Lord's prayer, we get it confused. Jesus' prayer is, Father, that they would be one, even as you and I are one, like that your people would be one, that you could see unity. And we'd be one. We're not supposed to be divisive. If we want to look like Jesus, help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Why? Because that changes your focus. Right? That's how you stop worrying is you pray. Why? Because it changes your perspective. It changes your focus. Like I said last week, it doesn't really matter what you pray about. The point of it is not that you, it's to change your focus. It's to change your perspective. It's to remind yourself that there's something bigger than these things that I'm worried about. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Oh, I'm going to turn my worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns, it's okay, bring it to Him. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come in and settle you down. 
It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I would say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me. Paul said, I'm not just telling y'all to do something that I'm not doing. You learned it from me. You can watch me. Look at my life. Put into practice what you learned from me. What you heard and saw and realized. Do that. And God who makes everything work together will work you into His most excellent harmonies. He'll make it fit. He'll make it flow. He'll work it in. Paul said, just do that. See, Paul's giving us a picture of a fulfilled life. So first, he celebrates God. Second, he sees value in all people. It's what we just read. Third, he knows how to get rid of stress and worry. Like how to release that because that's going to stop you. It's going to keep you. Get rid of stress and worry. Four, he has trust or faith that it's all going to work out. What is that? That's hope. See, no matter what situation Paul was in, he had hope in the future. Then in verse 8 and 9, what we just read, those last ones that we read, verse 8 and 9, that tells us how to do that. It tells us how we can celebrate God, we can see value in all people, how, how we get rid of stress and worry and, and how we can have faith that God's going to come through. Verses 8 and 9 tell us, number one, you fill your mind with good. Every day, you fill your mind with good. You find the beautiful, not the ugly. You find something to praise, not something to curse. See, he's given the instructions in those last couple verses. So one is, you fill your mind with good. Number two, he said, we just read it, you meditate on it. What does that mean? You go over it and over it and over it. You chew on it, you chew on it, you chew on it. You keep thinking about good. You keep filling your mind with good. It's not a one-time thing. It's not even a, right when I wake up in the morning, I fill my mind with good. That's good. It's a great way to start the day. But then... Paul's like, step two, you meditate on it. That means you keep going over it. When you forget, when you get in a bad situation, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, when, when your boss is a jerk, no, you keep filling it with good all day. It's a continual filling. Continually, you meditate on it. And the third thing that we just read, he said, you got to put it into practice. Right? So it's not just enough to think about the good and meditate on it. That's good. You're in step two. But the third one, now you need to put it into practice. Like when I look at your life, I need to see it. I need to see you walking it out. Why? Because that's faith. That's the hope. That's taking the steps. That's It can be seen. So I don't even have to hear you speak to know what you believe. I can look at your life. I can see the way you interact with people. 
I can see love in you and through you. I can see mercy and grace. I can see my God when I look at you, even if I don't hear you speak. Why? Because you're constantly filling yourself with good. Then you're meditating on it. You're going over and over, and then you're putting it into practice. You're a generous person. You're living a big life. You're, you're loving people. You're helping old ladies across the street. Whatever. Take the high road. You turn the other cheek. You choose unity. And you choose your attitude. I heard... Uh, I'm trying to think who I heard say it. John Maxwell, I believe it was, that was talking about the diary of a dog and the diary of a cat from the same family. And uh, the diary of the dog, you know, he logged in. Monday morning, best day ever. The master petted me for 33 minutes. Then I got a bone, and it was the best bone I've ever tasted. I got food and fresh water. I have the best yard in the world. How could I have been so blessed to be bought into this family? It may not be exactly word for word, but you get the idea. Then the diary of the cat. Day 337 of my captivity. They continue to taunt me with these toys, waving them in front of my face, so I will amuse them by pawing. The food is not what I was created to eat. One day, when my plan is done, I will escape this slavery of this family. It's the same family, the same house and yard and food and everything. Yes, it's the perspective. You get to choose whether you'll be a cat or a dog. When you get the attitude or the perspective of love, then you give, you sacrifice, because great love equals great sacrifice. God modeled that for us. God so loved that he gave. Great sacrifice equals a big life. It's, it's the economy of relationships. That's the kingdom. Others begin to matter more than you. You start to care about the people around you more than you care about yourself. You know it's natural to be selfish and stingy. That's easy. We're born that way. It's, it's natural. I'm not selfish. Oh, well, what else in your life are you not aware of? <laughs> yes, you are. Things and stuff, it don't matter. Money doesn't matter. People do. So fill your minds with good. Meditate on it. And put it into practice.
I don't think I'm going to 2 Kings. I think we're good. I was going to go to a, a part in 2 Kings and talk about a miracle, but I think we're good on that. Let's chew on that. and I think God spoke to us, and, uh, and we'll probably hit on that other part next week. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for speaking to our hearts and our minds. God, we want to see a transformation. And we know that transformation starts within us, in our mind, in that little piece of real estate. And we pray for world peace, but we know that we'll never see world peace until we see inner peace. So God, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that you would help us to see the renewing of our minds by the washing of the water of the word. God, thank you for speaking. God, thank you for changing our mind about some things, for, for changing the way we think, for, for giving us clear vision and purpose for the future for showing us the finish line so that we can put hope and faith in the finish line. And when we win this race, that we get a new hope and a new finish line. God, we don't want to waste time riding around in bumper cars and going through pain for no purpose or reason. We're okay with pain. We can take a lot as long as we know you're working. As long as we know there's a reason and it's making a difference. God, help us to be what we're called to be. Help us to walk in obedience every day. We love you. Thanks for being a good God and a good dad that loves us. Thanks for speaking to your kids. In Jesus' name, amen.